Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Who remembers our big ambitious goal for 2024? What is it? Uh, 24 baptisms in 2024. It's big, it's bold, and it requires God's help and power to do that. And part of that, we've got a sermon series lined up. So if we just go to the next slide, thanks, Matt. So I'm calling this our treasure sermon series in term one. And it's often easy in church just to sort of rock up, come together, hear a message, go home, rinse, wash, and repeat. And so this term and this year, and hopefully forevermore, we actually sit down and plan, like, what outcomes do we want to achieve? Essentially, by me being up here, I am teaching you the Word of God. And so I want there to be some sort of demonstrable outcome that comes from that. Otherwise, like, well, what are we doing here? And so for this series, our series aims to develop a culture that embodies our seven centres. And we'll look at that a little bit later, our three Ps, play, prayer, presence, so we can achieve our goal of 24 in 24. One of the things that we, I firmly believe, and we as a pastoral team believe, is that prayer changes things. Yes, we agree with that. Yeah, we need prayer. Like, this is a spiritual enterprise. We need God's help in doing that. One of the things that we've been doing each Sunday morning at 8.30 is we've been having a prayer meeting in the conference room. I'd love by the end of this sermon series, we had at least five people there. We had three this morning. It was myself, Kerry, and Glennis. But five people there just praying, praying for the needs in our church, praying for our world, praying for our community. That's how we're going to see things happen. I don't, I don't like to put God into a box, but if you study revival history, revival has always happened when Christians came together to pray and God did stuff. And part of praying, this is something for myself, for Murray, Brian, Lou, and perhaps you could take on this, is we often chat and often ask about the weather and footy, but when opportunity arises, hey, how can I pray for you? And after the service, to be intentional about when are those moments to actually pray for someone after the service, to encourage that culture of prayer, not just before church and the conference room, but afterwards and not necessarily here in the prayer corner. And there's a big one. If we want to see 24 baptisms in 2024, that means we want to see new people come in, people that haven't had a faith in Jesus come to a saving faith. And we're just going to pray that we see five people come into the church, not just come, but actually get connected. And two, as part of, as we've sort of shared about running this place, we need finances. And I love George Mueller. If you haven't heard of George Mueller, the guy just prayed and prayed and prayed and funded orphanages through the power of prayer. And that's my prayer is we can actually see people go, you know what? I'm going to trust God with my giving. I see the kingdom, the treasure is worth it. I'm 36 years old this year. In 70 years, I will not be around. But you know, in 70 years, the kingdom of God will still be here. There is an eternal treasure that God offers. It's easy to get sucked into the earthly treasure here and now. And so that's sort of the outcomes that we want to see for this sermon series. Um, 
But the title of this morning's message is, which I've stolen from William Carey, the great missionary to India, is expect great things, attempt great things. So Matt, if you could put on the next slide. Unfortunately, we don't have William Carey's original sermon manuscript. Otherwise, I'd just steal that and read it out to you. But we know that Carey, and I'll give you a bit of background. So William Carey was a shoe cobbler and he was a Baptist pastor. And Carey loved reading books about Captain Cook and the world that was, well, I guess it was the unknown world back then at that time. And Carey had this heart. It was a heart for mission. And at a Baptist pastor's meeting, he stood up and declared about the importance of the Great Commission of following it. And this older pastor stood up and said, Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting you or me. That was the culture at times. Like, well, who cares about that? If God's going to do it, he will do it himself. He's not going to use people like us. And so Carey wrote a book, and here's the title of the book, which you can read online. This is a mouthful. An inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens. What a mouthful. Mouthful there. Let's just call it the inquiry. William Carey wrote the inquiry. And in the inquiry, uh, Carey wrote this. He said here, multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners, who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. That's what drove Carey, was that there were people who did not know the hope of Jesus Christ. And William Carey's heart was for India. And so on, in 1792... William Carey preached what is called the deathless sermon. I don't know why it's called that, but it's called that, where he had two points. Expect great things, attempt great things. And unusually for a missions passage, and when you think missions, you think Matthew 28, 16 to 20, the the Great Commission, or Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Carey picked this passage from Isaiah 54. He's just an Old Testament man at heart like me. And Isaiah 54, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispose nations and settle in their desolate cities. That's a very, very unusual passage, isn't it? To think about world mission and the heart for the gospel So let's spend a little time unpacking what perhaps was going through William Carey's mind at that point. Now, a question for everyone, and it's hopefully a very easy one. What do you think spreading a tent means? What image comes to mind when when you think about that? Stretching, yeah. What else? Pardon? Spreading the Word of God, yeah. When you need to stretch something out and make it bigger, what's the implication there? You need to expand. Yeah. And so I don't know what was going through William Carey's head, but I'm going to think that the guy was a bit of a genius and actually saw Isaiah as pointing to Jesus and the end time hope of the gospel. 
And so Isaiah 54 comes after, you guessed it, Isaiah 53. And what's Isaiah 53 famous for? If you listen to Colin Buchanan a lot, you'll know Isaiah 53.6. Ba, ba, do, ba, ba. Isaiah 53.6. Ooh, yes. <laughs> but Isaiah 53 is all about the suffering servant. And rather than kind of going through, this is what we'll do in banter tomorrow. Mari and I catch up. So if you want to go a little bit deeper into chapters 53 and 54 of Isaiah, you can listen to that. But let's just look at the the three verses before at the end of chapter 53 and then look at 54. Maybe this is what was going on through William Carey's mind, encouraging people for the gospel. So Isaiah 53 verse 10, it's talking about the suffering servant. It says here, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And now, we know Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus. His points to us about Jesus. Well, can we just go back one more? Thanks, Matt. I'm jumping ahead. So it says here, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see, and this is important, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. What do that means? How can a man who suffers under God have offspring? Yeah, that's important to keep in the back of your mind. Now let's jump to Isaiah 54. It just continues on the narrative. That says here, sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Now, who is one of the most famous barren women in Scripture? Sarah, yeah. Sarah, there's lots of barren women in Scripture, but... Probably Sarah here he's referring to. Now, Isaiah was written at a time when the, when the Jewish people were exiled. Now, they're in Babylon. And so in some ways here, this barren woman represents shame. It represents humiliation. represents not having life. Now, we know that this servant here, he's going to bear God's wrath. He's going to bear iniquity. And the offspring are going to be blessed. Now Isaiah 54 picks up, we've got this barren woman, someone who's never born a child. Now she's going to have lots of children. And then it continues on, it's about enlarging the tent. And it's somehow connected here, this servant who is going to suffer is going to have offspring. And this barren woman, which probably represents Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, is going to have offspring. So much so that the tent that the people want to go in, they're going to need to be spread and spread and spread across the world. Now, for those who love camping, you'll love this. In the Old Testament, a sign of God's blessing and God's 
guess presence with his people is with those in tents. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Exodus, all in tents. In fact, God builds a special tent called the tabernacle. That is the ideal image in the Old Testament of God being with his people in a tent. Because I don't know what William Carey's mindset was when he came to this sermon, but it's probably something along these lines. He recognized that Jesus is that suffering servant. Jesus is the one who suffered and bore God's wrath. And because of that, he produces offspring, us, his children. So much so that we're going to spread. At the end of Revelation, we're told there the new Jerusalem is going to come down. This idea is that it's not just this tiny little city. The whole world will be blessed through that. I think what is interesting is that the shame laid upon the servant removes the shame of the barren woman. Friends, we are that offspring. I imagine Carrie understood that. Carrie, as I mentioned before in the, in the book of Inquiry, Carrie wrote, Multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. I love Carrie's motto expect great things, attempt great things. And when praying over 24 in 24, I was just drawn to that. Like, that is a fantastic way to live, to be expectant of God, to do something powerful. Of God in his awesome power and sovereignty. So just do things that we just could not ever fathom and imagine. But at the same time, too, there's an expectation of us to step out in faith and see God work. Now, Carrie's life, and we don't have time to go into it, and you can go onto YouTube and find heaps of docos and books about his life. Carrie may have said, expect great things, attempt great things, and he achieved that, but it came with tremendous suffering. So after preaching that sermon, um, Kerry formed the Baptist Missionary Society, and he went to India, originally with a man called John Thomas, uh, and a surgeon. And th- after realizing just how difficult life in India was and the immense poverty and sickness, Thomas deserted Kerry. Kerry contracted malaria so many times, it's lost count. One of the times where he contracted malaria, his five-year-old son Peter died of dysentery. His wife, Dorothy, eventually had a mental breakdown, so much so that she pulled a knife on him, accused him of committing um, adultery, and she had to be locked in an office. He had no money to pay for food, to pay for rent. They lived as absolute paupers and just moved around from place to place. And Carrie, in this immense suffering, he wrote a couple of things. I have the quote there. He says here, I am in a strange land, no Christian friend, a large family, and nothing to supply their wants. He had this hope. Well, I have God, and his word is sure. After his son Peter died, Carrie wrote, This is indeed the valley of the shadow of death to me. But I rejoice that I am here, notwithstanding, and God is here. What a man. 
This dude wasn't anything special. He was a cobbler. He was uneducated. But he had a heart for God. After seven years of hard work, Kerry saw his first convent. And Kerry spent 41 years in India without a break. At the time of his death, there were 700 converts, six Bible translations. Kerry led education and social reform. He was part of the abolition of infanticide, so it's killing baby girls, which was custom back then, and the practice of widow burning. Kerry embodied expect great things, attempt great things. Another way of saying this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. That was also a man who suffered tremendously. And Paul writes here in Ephesians 3 verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I feel like that doesn't need much unpacking. Paul's just saying, hey, guess what? God's able to do more than what you expected. There's a power that's working within us. Paul goes on to say, hey, that power is the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. He's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. See, for William Carey, it was spreading the tent that meant everything to him. However, a key word for 2024 is treasure. William Carey, he put his treasure, not here on earth, because it was on here on earth, he'd be the most miserable man in existence. To take his family, to suffer sickness, to lose a child, have a wife go insane, it would be utterly worthless. But he recognized his treasure wasn't here on earth. It was in heaven. And for him, it was worth it. And so, friends, our goal is perhaps not as ambitious as William Carey to move to India and spend 41 years there. But we are expecting God to do something, to see 24 in 24. That's a huge thing for us. To get in a post-Christian Australian society where people aren't as interested in the gospel, we still believe that God wants to transform and change people's hearts. If you follow Jesus, you could say that there is something that the gospel offers that nothing else in this world can that's why we do what we do. That's why our motto is making Jesus the center through play, prayer, and presence. Last week, we introduced us to our seven centers. Our centers are we are Bible-centered, we are prayer-centered, discipleship-centered, relationally-centered, community-centered, compassion-centered, and mission-centered. These are some of the behaviors that we want to see. One of the things that we're also going to be doing this year in our sermons is if you've watched Sesame Street, you'll remember the letter of the day. Have your letter of the day that you learned. We're going to have our centers of the week. And I feel like a message like this on missions has lots of different centers about it, different behaviors that we can take from this and apply in our week, in our months, and the years ahead. So our centers of the week, prayer, mission, compassion, Oh, sorry, um, relationship, I should say, and 
discipleship. And so the questions I want to ask you is prayer. What expectant thing do you need to be praying for? How? As a church, we're praying for 24 in 24. But each of us have our own challenges and our needs in our life. What's something that seems utterly impossible unless God does it? What expectant thing do you need to be praying for? Similarly, too, as, as a church, the great thing that we want to see and attempt is 24 baptisms in 2024. But perhaps to you, what's the great thing God is calling you to? I say great thing. I'm not saying go to India and live there for 41 years. Perhaps the great thing for you is just crossing the street and talking to a neighbor. Perhaps the great thing for you is just stepping out in faith. What great thing is God calling you to attempt? And as part of being relationally centered, who are the people that we know? Now, Rob said we might know some people who are from prison. Many of us here probably know someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus. Let's use that image of a tent that Kerry had. Who do I know that needs to become part of the tent, the worldwide tent that's just spreading out because it's so full of people? Who do I know? Who in a relationship do I know who needs that? And how can I connect with them and share the hope of Jesus? There's disciples of Jesus. Jesus didn't say, come and follow me and just fill your head with knowledge. He said, come and follow me and become fishers of men. Do what I do. Part of being discipleship-centered, what's actually stopping you from obeying? Is it fear? Is it indifference? You're just like, I don't really care. I don't really care about this. My life is busy. Is it perhaps sin in your life? You're like, I just, I kind of want to follow God, but there's this barrier of sin in my life. I just don't want to do this. What is stopping you? Perhaps if there's yeah, something stopping you, come chat. I know I'd love to chat to you about it. One of our pastors, I know there's lots of faithful Christians here who would love to work with you through that. And these are our centers of the week. So friends, will you expect great things? And will you attempt them? Let me pray for us. Yeah, Lord God and Heavenly Father, we yeah, just give you thanks for the example of William Carey, a man that outwardly had nothing impressive about him on his CV, yet just had a faithfulness to you, Lord. And that's what you've done throughout church history, throughout the Bible, just taken men and women who outwardly are unimpressive, but, Lord, just had a heart, a heart to be faithful to you. And, Lord, I pray that we can just capture that same heart, Lord, to be expectant of you to do great things and lord to be willing to be obedient and to attempt great things and to be reminded of those words of the apostle paul now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and imagine according to the power that is at work within us i pray that we just live with that power knowing that the holy spirit he is with us to do the job for us I just pray that now, Spirit, you just be flowing into our hearts and minds and transforming us for action. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.